<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ironic part of this whole conversation is that I was one of the first people who said the blame for what is going on in the Capitol lays right at the president's doorstep. He needs to concede this race as soon as possible. I said that that same afternoon, as soon as I saw more footage and heard some of the things said in his rally. But nobody wants to mention that part. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Fraternal Order of Police President John Catanzara. John, you're in the eye of the storm again, a familiar place for you to be. Why is that? Because uh, I have an opinion and I'm going to share it. Uh, you know, far too often, leaders of Lodge 7 have not been willing to be outspoken on behalf of the membership. All I'm, doing is echoing the, all I'm doing is echoing the frustrations of my membership, and they grow louder every day. 36 aldermen are demanding your resignation or removal for sympathizing with and defending the mob that stormed the U.S. Capitol in a deadly siege that left five people dead, including a Capitol Police officer. And yet your board met this week and nothing happened. Why do you think that is? because there was nothing improper about what I did in violation of our constitution or bylaws. The aldermen can say what they wish, but this isn't much different than, you know, the police board charade that occurred last month where they are now theoretically trying to fire me when they know legally, according to our protections under the union contract, they cannot. I am on a leave of absence. You cannot be disciplined while you're on a leave of absence. They are fully aware of that situation. And to you know, answer your original question, the aldermen have no standing in our organization. So they can put on whatever dog and pony show they want. But at least our enemies have truly been revealed now. And who are they? <laughs> the aldermen that signed that draft. And we'll see who votes for it on the 20th. Okay, so, and what does that mean? Oh, that's fine. Because it, I could tell you, the membership are more concerned about the nonsense and disgusting process that just took place down in Springfield with no debate, where their, our profession was just turned upside down and the keys were turned over to the criminals. Those are the same politicians in many sense that are running city council right now. No debate right. for a 700-page bill. 
Same thing that City Hall does countless times. Okay, we'll talk about that crime bill, but let's talk about the fact that you have apologized and you've been rebuked by the national FOP. In discussing the pro-Trump mob that stormed that Capitol building, you said, quote, there was no arson, there was no burning of anything, there was no looting, no very little destruction of property, no fights, obviously violence, no violence in this crowd. They pushed past security and made their way to the Senate chamber. Did they destroy anything when they were there? No. What did you get so wrong about that? And why did you apologize? And what did you learn from it? Well, who said I got anything wrong? You're, you're assuming you know the timeline of how that all went down. And clearly you do not, like many other people. You know, it's easy Monday morning quarterbacking the next day and looking at someone said, I mean, it'd be like watching the Bears game and saying, wow, the Bears look great. They're going to destroy them. And then they get killed. And then you look like an idiot the next day because you didn't watch the rest of the game. It's real simple. Chip Mitchell took all of my quotes, put them in a, a line, and don't, didn't give any context to any of them, for one. I was very clear that in my retraction and apology that that statement was given at four-something East Coast time when the incident was just starting to die down. And I, at that point, had been watching the TV for about a total of 30 minutes when Chip called and asked for an interview. I went with the stuff I seen on TV at that point. I did not see a lot of the footage that I then found out later that day. Um, that's just a simple fact. So my comments were not disingenuous or tone deaf to the information I had at the time. There was no mention about an officer being dead or even a woman being shot. So people just need to stop. So what should you have done? Should you have said to him, look, I don't know what's really happening. I got to wait to see this play out. Should well, your shoot from the lip style have changed? Uh, what well, should you I'll have done? You, why don't I just tell you that right now then? Why don't you reach out to me in a year from now and I'll, I'll, I'll summarize all that is for you right now. When someone calls and a reporter calls for an interview, when is the totality of the situation ever over? Because then you can ask about the fallout from what happened at the Capitol. That could be your next question. And then the fallout isn't even complete yet. So where does it stop? When is the, the situation in relationship to an interview ever over where my information is going to be 100% complete? Never. Okay, so as you see what happened at the Capitol, what is your feeling about how that went down and what you say about that? You know, that piggy, you know, it leads right into the, the ironic part of this whole conversation is that I was one of the first people who said the blame for what is going on in the Capitol lays right at the president's doorstep. He needs to concede this race as soon as possible. I said that that same afternoon as soon as I saw more footage and heard some of the things said in his rally. But nobody wants to mention that part. And I got so much flack for being a quote unquote BS Trump supporter who abandons them at a, at a drop of a hat, which wasn't the case whatsoever. What happened there was 100% wrong. And when I had more information, that was exactly what I said. And that's what I still stick by today. So again, it's, mu it's funny how that doesn't get picked up or even, you know, repeated as much as, you know, <laughs> John, John's calling for uh, the overthrow of the government. I mean, it's, it's just so stupid 
but it's self-serving and it's got an agenda behind it. And the agenda is what? To absolutely disparage my name, the union's name, the FOP's name, to try. I mean, this is all games. You know, the, the ironic part in many ways is everybody instantly forgot about the mayor's lies about covering up a, a search warrant situation where she clearly lied about when she knew and what she knew. It stopped instantly last week. So you're saying that she's playing this up to get the heat off herself because of the Anjanette Young thing and her. She, she can, uh, am I, I mean, does it, I mean, even Stevie Wonder could see that. She does it every single time. It's the so game of her politics, goal is what? To deflect from her own failings and lies. I mean, come on. She clearly lied. Nobody even, and I had this conversation with another reporter. Who even talked about the fact that she was taking wager, having a wager about how long a teacher strike was going to last? That was a news cycle for less than 24 hours. Nobody gave a damn. I mean, here's the mayor of a city, one of the biggest cities in this country, taking a teacher strike that absolutely crippled this city for a week and changed parents' lives as if it's trivial stuff to gamble over cigars and whiskey. Are you kidding me? And her lead labor attorney is joining in on it. Her chief of staff is joining in on it like it's something to joke about. But again, it got no traction whatsoever because it's on to the next shiny object as quickly as possible. Sadly, that's what your profession has turned into. And they take advantage of it every single time. Were you embarrassed, though, when you saw the Capitol officer crushed by a fire extinguisher trying to hold back that awful crowd. Weren't you ashamed of what you had said when you saw the utter destruction and disrespect that they exhibited and the violence they went there to commit, the hostages they planned to take, all the things they did that day in our U.S. Capitol? Was I ashamed? No. Do I by regret? what you had said, do you, what do you regret? Do you, want, do you want an answer or do you want to talk over me? I know what you're trying to get at. No, I don't. I'm not ashamed. Do I have regret for picking up the phone at that time and answering that phone call? Sure. It would have been a much different statement if he had called an hour later. I can assure you that. And it would have been even a more different statement than an hour later if it was three hours later. And what role do you believe Donald Trump, who you have supported in the past, played in fanning those flames? Well, first of all, having that rally to begin with, I still don't, I mean, I, I clearly, I get it was for support, but in the nation's capital probably wasn't the place to have it. Uh, um, that, that just set the scene for a bad situation to begin with. Uh, I mean, it perfectly was legit. And But, you know, nobody talks about the thousands and thousands and thousands, I don't even know what the crowd ended up estimated being at, who just went there to support the president and whether you want to call stop the steal, whatever the case may be, who firmly believe that something odd happened in that election, but nobody talks about those hundreds of thousands. I think the last estimate I saw was who were there peacefully just expressing their first amendment rights. Everybody wants to focus on the couple hundred idiots and lawbreakers who did what they did. Why is that? Do you believe the election was stolen? 
why, do why you believe that? the election why, why was is stolen? There, why is there no focus on the group of people that were there to express their First Amendment rights? Why is that always lost in this? Can you tell me that? Because I can tell you, when when throngs of mobs all across this country were burning cities in this country all summer long, all we heard was, don't pay attention to the violence. Pay attention. This was a peaceful protest. That's all they ever said. It was a peaceful protest. There's not much going on here. Repeatedly, our city here burned down two separate times. It was all about peaceful protest that was hijacked. Okay, but they focused on the peaceful protest. That isn't the case here. Why? Because there's an agenda. It's a left-wing agenda who wants to shut down any opposition to anything they stand for, no matter what. They are literally willing to let cities burn to get their way. And they've proven it time and time again. Do you believe the election was stolen? I believe, and I've said this to friends for months, shame on President Trump, shame on the Republican Party for not fighting those ballot, those mail-in ballot initiatives months before the election as they were occurring. That's where the court fight should have started. They should have never allowed a lot of those changes to state processes for elections. But again, that's individual states to do. And sadly, the people in those states allowed that to happen. But uh, again, someone was asleep at the wheel. But do you believe the election was stolen? Stolen? I, I believe it was, uh, let's put it this way. It was, I, I guess I'm struggling to find the proper word, but it certainly was not fair. You tell in me, you, well, in what way? Because state legislatures control election rules, but yet in a few states, it seems that individual politicians wanted to arbitrarily change how the election process was going to happen in violation of their own state constitutions. So explain to me how that's right. But again, that's the Republicans' fault for not dealing with that prior to the election. The Chicago Police Department is investigating whether any of its members participated in the storming of the Capitol. Do you know of any officers who participated? And if so, what should happen to them? I do not know of any. And if they if they stormed the Capitol and they were inside that building, they should be treated like anybody else. You told the FOP board this week that you did, that uh, you plan to file an unfair labor practices complaint against the 36 aldermen who demanded your ouster. Are you going to do that? And if so, on what grounds? Wow, that's pretty amazing. Now, you see, that, that that's a perfect example of how terrible this profession and, and this job can be sometimes because that board meeting was less than 24 hours ago and certain people that were at that meeting couldn't wait to run back and go talk to you or anybody else and tell them what happened and what was discussed. I mean, <laughs> that's just a sad state of, of me, 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 now, now, now. Uh, and it, it even, you know, is pervasive inside the FOP. But the unfair labor practice was already filed. Oh, so, okay, and what are the grounds was, for that? that was, In what that way the, did they that was the violate? Second, that was the second unfair labor practice because there was also one filed for the dog and pony show at the police board when they tried when they announced that now there's a, a termination case against me sitting at the police board that's never going to be adjudicated because I'll never be back in the police department anyway.
So in what way did these 36 aldermen uh, violate labor practices? They have to ratify our contract when it's brought to them. They have already proven themselves biased now in that decision. As the lead negotiator for this organization, they have already overstepped their authority and now are trying to interfere with lodge business in violation of labor law. Let's talk about the sweeping crime bill that you said was was passed in the waning hours of the lame duck session with no debate, almost 800 pages of it. What impact will it have on your profession? You know, I had many conversations yesterday after that early morning debacle that took place down there. And I, I really struggled on what to tell our officers for the better part of the day. I, I really don't know. I, I tried to caution the mayor's office even about, and there was not a doubt in my mind that they were also pushing even as much as they can, the lawmakers that they needed to push to make that vote happen because it was an end around game for contract negotiations. The legislature down in Springfield handed the city a lot of the things they were looking for in contract negotiations, which now made you know our position much weaker. They did their work for them. But I kept harping on the unattended consequences to these stupid, there's no other way, no other real way to call it, but stupid laws they just enacted. Um, I, I, the, the simple effect is there's over 2,500 officers who are 50 years old right now and with 20 years of service that can start collecting a pension check tomorrow. And I don't know what to tell them to keep them here. There's no reason for them to stay anymore. If you have the ability to leave, they should theoretically leave. I mean, they have just made policing in this city and state near impossible. They have given control to the criminals. So how so? How so? Listen, you want to talk simple things. I mean, literally, if they feel you intentionally forgot to turn on your body camera for whatever reason they determine, you will not only be fired and decertified, you could be charged with a class three felony. If you make a statement they believe is material or false intentionally in their estimation, you can be fired, decertified, and charged with a class three felony. It does not matter the gravity of the statement. It does not delineate. But I find it really ironic that the person that pushed that bill, LG Sims and Justin Slaughter, committed that same offense and should have been charged with class three felonies because they stood up on the chamber of that floor and lied repeatedly for the last four days that law enforcement were involved in these discussions. The FOP was intentionally excluded from any of these conversations in those nine, uh, nine sessions that he claims he had. The coalition members from the chair, from the chiefs and the sheriffs were allowed to bring our considerations as a law enforcement coalition to some of those discussions. But the FOP did not have a seat at the table intentionally. We repeatedly requested, we were repeatedly ignored by not only them, but the attorney general's office. <clears throat> it's a repeated theme. And you wanna talk about the mayor now championing what was such a great thing that happened in Springfield. Well, guess what? The mayor, and I just gave an example not even 10 minutes ago, 
about her lying, she would now be subjected to a class three felony for giving false information when she said she didn't know about that raid, which was BS. But again, it's rules for thee, rules for me. None of these same rules, even though you could make the argument that these lawmakers are in the law enforcement profession, none of these rules apply to them. Why is that? The city says you have a short window now before this bill is signed to cut a deal with the city and they need certain things from you. They need you to agree to the economic terms of 10% over four years, most of it retroactive. They need you to do and agree to the accountability things that they got from the police supervisors through an arbitrator. Will you do that? You admit that your hand has no. been weakened. No. no. What are you going to do? <laughs> like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. No, yeah, I just, you gave me an answer. No. And Franzic could say what he wants. I have a short window. He doesn't dictate my window. Well, so you throw it in the hands of an arbitrator? I mean, here's the irony. All this shows is their strategy from day one since the mayor took office was to let Springfield try and do their lifting while they ran the clock out. And I know our members are going to say, well, if we went to arbitration earlier, it wouldn't matter. This law still would have taken effect. This this tidal wave was coming. Sadly, there was too many spineless politicians in those caucuses who caved in to simple race baiting and pressure and literally having the black caucus look at white legislators and say, if you F us on this bill, you will never get a black vote again. Hour on hour on hour, that was their threat to every single white lawmaker in that room. Shame on them. Everything is a race, and it's disgusting. It's not, but that's exactly what they make it. And they guilted these people into saying yes. And shame on those politicians for not having a spine. But they clearly did the mayor's bidding. So, again, they had no intention on negotiating in good faith at all. That was proven every time we met. They never entertained anything we really presented as a viable option and with back and forth discussion. Yet every topic they would bring up, we would have legitimate back and forth discussions and negotiations. It was a clear signal that they never intended on negotiating this contract until they decided what was going to happen in Springfield. So, so you're basically saying that police officers who are eligible are going to run for the hills. I have no doubt about it, and I can't say I blame a single one of them. And I could tell you, even ones that aren't eligible to collect a pension check, if you got five years on and you got other options, I, I, I could see officers exploring it. And what is this city going to do? You literally just handed the keys to the criminals. I'll say it over and over and over again, period. What are you going to do? We already have an officer shortage on the backs of a very violent year, almost a historic number with no answers except the police are at fault. The police are not at fault for 780 murders in these neighborhoods. How they think that their changes are going to do anything to change those murder numbers, they're going to go up. And you are going to have a few thousand less police officers to deal with it. Nobody is going to want to take this job. That is not going to be replaced seats, no matter how bad they want. They just cut 640 jobs. They have no idea what they are doing. And you already have a pension problem. What are you going to do when you have 2,000 less officers paying into the pension and 2,000 more collecting checks on top of the upside down that it already is there with the lack of funding that already exists? 
And we haven't even talked about the end of cash bail. What will that do in terms of crime? <laughs> you, I was literally shaking my head, but I guess I probably shouldn't have been, to listen to Justin Slaughter respond to, I believe, I can't remember who was even asking him the questions from the Republican side, that would, what would you do, uh, someone charged with kidnapping would theoretically be, a, uh, you know, uh, eligible for no cash bail because it's a probationable offense. And you can see the deer in the headlights look like, well, we got time to work all of that out. So they have two years to tweak out the obviously bail reform issues in, in that part of the law. Two years they've given themselves to, to iron out all the rough spots. But they had to ram that through in four days as a general law instead of working out the ridiculous wording in much, in much of that bill. I'll give you a little inside baseball here. The coalition was in talks with the attorney general as a whole with his original language for police decertification expansion. And as a group, we were working with the AG for the last five days plus going back and forth with a separate bill on when it was 841 alone on what we can accept as language, what we think is logical changes to that process. And these were conversations we had internally for the better part of eight months, if not longer, at least the eight months I was part of the group. These were, these were conversations we had. Um, and we, we thought that we had an understanding and agreement. We were going to say yes to 841 as a standalone bill. In the dead of the night, the AG let LG Sims hijack that bill that he was a sponsor of and merge it with the other one into one disastrous bill. If this was a what standalone- What were you gonna, tell us the elements you were going to agree to in that bill, forgetting the number of the bill, what, what were you going to agree to? And, and these were our proposals, so don't let anybody kid you that some geniuses on the other side came up with it, because it wasn't. These were things we discussed as a group all summer long last year. We went through a list of misdemeanors. Well, obviously, a felony is an automatic decertification eligibility. But we went through a list of misdemeanors across other states in this country that would decertify or basically delicense an officer in whatever state that would be. And we went through them one by one as a group and decided what can we add to the list that would also decertify one of our officers that we feel would obviously make them not eligible to carry a badge and a gun anymore. That was a list we came up with. Not them. We also said there should be a centrally dedicated database that tracks officers who are fired. So background checks are easier. So officers don't go from one agency to the next agency to the next agency. They will know that that officer was terminated by another agency or they re they, they basically resigned under investigation. And then that agency could then make the determination if they want to dig, dig deeper or not. But again, there were simple common sense approaches that we were trying to come up with that were not only talking about changes to law enforcement, but things we felt strengthened the community and considerations for the victims. Everybody has seemed to forgotten about the victims in this whole bill that they just passed. All they are worried about is criminals 
and people suspects. And you want to, we can't call them criminal until we're convicted, I guess. But anyway, you they, they all they care about is giving rights back to them that they felt were taken away. It doesn't make what, any damn sense. What about sworn affidavits? Again, were you well, were you willing to concede anything on that? No. Why not? Do you have anonymous complaints for criminal court? Why should you have them for police, obviously, uh, actions? The reality is the consent monitor uh, had a survey done last summer, and I believe the results were published probably in a report to the judge. But the predominant amount, I should say the predominant number of people in that survey said they don't feel that there's an issue with making a complaint. They feel there's an issue with the complaint being investigated properly. There isn't a fear I can't go make a complaint. So it's that whole premise is based on BS. The anonymous complaint is only going to make every situation that much more difficult now because everything has to be investigated now. Where is the funding coming for that? COPA is basically incompetent as they've proven themselves time and time again, cannot even keep up with the complaints now. How are they going to do it when anonymous complaints become a reality? Now, you have said that David Brown, that he's been turned into a figurehead by Mayor Lightfoot, that she and her top aides are running and running the police department from City Hall, all calling the shots. How is he doing? Is he succeeding or failing as police superintendent in Chicago? That, I mean, that's not for me to decide, but I mean, it's, it's not a new dynamic. I mean, you've been around long enough. Everybody knows. I mean, there, there's very few exceptions where the superintendent of police had uh, untethered uh, power. It's always been attached to the mayor's office, sadly, which is why I said for a long time, that should be an elected position. Do you remember a time when the superintendent actually was in the mayor's office at, under Richard J. Daley before the O.W. Wilson arrival and the Summerdale scandal? That's that, that that's when it separated. So it actually was in the mayor's office. Yeah, well, it might have separated in physicality location, but never in actuality. So, so is David Brown succeeding or failing? Um. Again, I, I I don't even want to put you. I, I will not put the blame of 780 murders even on the superintendent's doorstep. You know, I know he had this pie in the sky hope that it was going to be 300, but that's just that was never grounded in reality. And I think he sees the difference between what he was used to as Texas justice and what we have in Illinois. And I, I wish I know he. he has made it very clear that he's not going to be political, but I wish that he was more political because I'm sure he'd have a lot more to say if he had the freedom to say it. He's, again, I will never forget that infamous press conference where he was just about to say some names in the mayor's head and she had to jump in and basically chastise the reporter for basically leading him somewhere she didn't want him to go. And he was going to, I mean, literally, he's laid the blame at the doorstep of prosecution and judges. So what does that tell you? I mean, he knows what the problem is. And I, I can guarantee if he had the freedom to speak, I don't see how he couldn't 
think that what just happened in Springfield yesterday made his job that much harder. Before we go, the Bobby Rush cops, the mayor had a big press conference in the summer talking about them lying around, sleeping in his office, having coffee, popcorn while the city was looted and the mall around them was looted. Whatever happened to those cops? Were they ever disciplined? What happened to that investigation? Their discipline decisions have been tendered to them. We have filed grievances on every single one of them and are going to fight them in the grievance process. Were they suspended? Were they fired? How many people were fired? How many were suspended? There were, yes, suspensions were handed out across the board. How long? What was the longest? Uh, I believe 20 days. I, will say, I find it ironic that there was an officer suspended for simply walking in using the bathroom. So how many suspensions are we talking about? Um, I believe with the sergeants and lieutenants, I believe it was 17. 17 total with sergeants and lieutenants and they with the longest suspension 20 days and the shortest of what uh, one okay and what do you think of that punishment did they do <laughs> anything wrong in the situation no and it still has yet to be revealed where the phone call came from who sent them over from 87th and Orion to 54th and Orion? Someone made that phone call and nobody still knows or is saying, I shouldn't say knows because people know, but nobody is saying where that phone call came from. <coughs> because then you could backtrack it from who made the phone call to the lieutenant to tell him to get his people on the bus and go over to that, off, that uh, little mall then you'll find out who called that person and who made that call. And they don't want but it to you, backtrack that. They don't want it to keep backtracking on who originally made the call to have police go over there to begin with. But you've admitted that the video that she showed so dramatically that day looked bad because they were, there were people sleeping, there were people popping popcorn and so on. Did they do anything wrong? No. I mean, what do, you, what do you want people to do when there was nothing going on? They had already secured the whole property. They had originally walked through the parking lot around the backside of all of the buildings to make sure all the doors were secure when they arrived there. What do you want them? They came around the front. There was nothing going on. That was done, period. They're supposed to stand that attention in the mall? So you believe these suspensions will be overturned? Um, I'm not, not going to pretend to read the mind of an arbitrator, but the whole situation should have never been handled the way it was, uh, but it's typical distraction, I mean, literally. And they will not serve those suspensions until the arbitrator rules, is that right? Or Correct. You know, okay. what was there? There was 20, there was 22 people, I believe, killed in one day in June um, in the city of Chicago during, during this summer in a single day, 21 or 22, I think it was. Uh, again, distract, distract, distract. Coffee and popcorn, coffee and popcorn. 
Don't look at this. John Catanzara, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck. You're always uh, colorful to talk to, that is for sure. And we will watch the impact of this crime bill, and we will see you all next week. Well, hopefully you have a city to come back to in this crime bill in a couple of years, because I don't see it happening the way it's going. <laughs>